The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins from the Society of St. Pius V and pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Welcome, Father. Thank, Thank you for you, being Tom. here. Good to be here. Uh, we have received uh, quite a variety of, of topics and comments and uh, just uh, various topic suggestions from our viewers, um, so we would like to attempt to answer some of those tonight. Uh, so let's dive right in, and we'll start uh, with a question here from one of our viewers, Father, concerning the uh, traditional Catholic viewpoint on money. So essentially, what should be the, the traditional Catholic uh, viewpoint on money? There's a, uh, <clears throat> a popular financial expert here and, uh, in the States, Dave Ramsey, and he teaches that, uh, that we should essentially be stewards of, of our money and that it's God's money, that we should view it that way, that it's not our money to handle, but that it's God's money and we should handle it from that viewpoint. So is that line of thinking, is that in line with, uh, with Catholic tradition? It certainly is in line with Catholic tradition, Tom, yes. And uh, Protestant fundamentalists have uh, taken, have adopted that line. I don't even know if many of them realize they've adopted it from the Catholic Church as they've adopted so much, the architecture and so many other things. Um, so that is a very Catholic understanding of things. Um, Catholics, of course, derive that from the tradition of the Church and the teaching of sacred scripture, which itself has been guarded by the Church throughout all of these centuries. And uh, we, we take St. Paul's words very seriously, the love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, he doesn't say money is the root of all evil, he says the love of money is the root of all evil. Right. Actually, I mean, the love of any creature for, its sale, for itself, for its own sake, is a disorder. It puts a, puts a creature in the place of God as though it were an idol in a person's life. You know? And certainly to idolize money uh, is a grave sin. A sin against the first commandment. Uh, we refer to a sin of avarice, uh, what we sometimes call greed in English, and uh, we realize that is that is the root of indeed so many many evils. I mean, not just thefts, but uh, fraud and, and murder, even. So uh, that love of money, that inordinate love of money, can lead to many other many other grave evils. Uh, we should look upon money as, a, as an instrument, uh, an instrument of exchange. It can be very, very useful, obviously. It was developed for a reason. Uh, there was a time when people didn't have what we would refer to as money. Uh, <clears throat> they would simply barter cows and, and uh, sheep and, and uh, whatever else they had, right? Crops and so on. They'd barter the goods, but they found uh, in the course of time that uh, if they took some precious metals and <clears throat> assigned a certain value to whatever you know, whatever whatever the monetary value would be, whatever a society would use, 
Uh, after all, they talked about buying Manhattan for 24 glass beads, right? I guess we could call that you know, kind of a mean medium of exchange. Um, so it indicates a certain value that you possess, and uh, that value, uh, whether it's in glass beads or coins stamped or tickets or whatever, it's a medium of exchange that can be very useful and very helpful for a, uh, uh, an economy, a society's economy to, to unleash its power of invention and investment and all the rest. Of course, we have to realize that in our own society now, we, we have a capitalist society, right? right. Which is uh, based upon a free enterprise system. And we realize that money has taken on a certain character in our own society that it did not have, let's say, in the Middle Ages, right? The idea of uh, getting investors to go in together to produce some service or some goods, um, it was not quite understood or looked upon the way it is right now, okay? Uh, they didn't necessarily use money to make money, okay? They, the interest interest was forbidden, absolutely. Uh, and there was a good re very good reason for forbidding interest there, because uh, the people who were taking credit, who needed to borrow money, often needed to borrow the money for the sake of uh, the necessities of life, and to expect them to be required to pay back as much and then more to pay interest on the monies, when they really, really needed to, to borrow, often for the sake of survival, that was very evil. And the church condemned that, you know. Um, but in our society now, one can make an investment of money and say, okay, well, I have this money, I could use this for many things for myself, but I'll actually uh, use the, I'll give this to somebody else to do something good with, produce something, build a business with, or a bridge, or whatever it might be, and uh, so that many other people can benefit from it, and uh, it'll have such value that others will, you know, be willing to pay for this service that is provided. And the revenues, well, I can be reimbursed, and I can actually uh, make something off of the money that I put into it. So increase my status too. So a great deal of, of wealth has come um, to uh, Western societies because of this, and it has come to it without really taking away the wealth of other people. This was the problem in the ancient societies. They could have increased their wealth essentially by, by finding something and appropriating it or by taking the spoils of war, right? Uh, but they didn't have this, the concept of increasing wealth by development uh, so much as we do. And again, you know, you go back to the old, the emperors and the, um, the kings and the princes of the pagan world, and they basically wanted the revenues to come to their coffers so they could wage wars <clears throat> and put up buildings in their memories and have huge mausolea for their families. Um, so they really didn't have the free enterprise system that we know of. But we're able to use money to develop wealth and, uh, in a sense, raise the level of the entire society. You know, So that the poor people in our own country, for example, have many of the amenities that uh, only well, very well-to-do people have in certain other countries. Uh, that is really what the free enterprise system is meant to do. 
I, I'll put a cap on this now because we want to move on to the next question. But whenever we get into the subject of uh, an economy and the, the play of money in the economy, it always takes me back to what Karl Marx said. Uh, <clears throat> when he divided all society between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat, right? You had the owners and the workers, right? You had the capitalists and the laborers. And uh, there was really nothing in between that they allowed, right? In the, in the Marxist system, there's no room for a, uh, a, a middle ground of a middle class that is both laboring and owning. Yeah? The people who actually labored themselves into owning, like the capitalists. And, uh, of course, the more laborers who can save money, uh, build up their wealth, and eventually acquire... Uh, something, uh, even a small business of their own, or land of their own, a home of their own, whatever it is, that they actually become owners. That actually is something that had to be destroyed in Soviet society. So they wiped out the kulaks uh, uh, from the Ukraine, you know, created an enormous famine. Millions perished there. Uh, they simply took their food away from them, you know. Those who owned the land, but also worked the land. There's no room for a middle class in Marxist theory that has to be destroyed. Um, there can only be the 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 Soviet the the, the laboring the laboring uh, citizen uh, and the the nomenclatura right those who are in the upper echelons of the party who control all the wealth. Uh, whereas in the free enterprise system that we have and the use of money as we have have had it here in the States, uh, has enabled people who were destined, according to Marxist theory, to be mere laborers, beasts of burden all their lives, to actually be able to become owners also. And uh, this is actually the ideal, when you get right down to it. The large middle class is the ideal of a Catholic society. The, the distributist system of economics, according to uh, G.K. Chesterton and others, kind of allowed for that idea. That you want the, 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 the vast majority of the people in your nation to be owners and workers. Not necessarily be so wealthy, they can just live off the, uh, the fat of the land, so to speak, and not so poor, they're just scraping by. Um, but this is the genius of the free enterprise system. And it really is what is compatible with the idea of private ownership, which is a fundamental right we recognize as Catholics. Right. Um, so money is very important to us, but the proper use of it is is important. Right. <clears throat> it can be it can be manipulated to gain uh, despotic control over society. Sure. And uh, we have that has to be prevented. Um, Father, I'd like to, to quickly follow up on something you mentioned about the uh, this idea of developing wealth and being able to create wealth. Um, the uh, the immigrant author Dinesh D'Souza he always talks about this point of how prior to the invention of Western society that uh, wealth was primarily obtained via conquest. Uh, if you were stronger than the other guy, you would beat him in war and you would take his stuff. But with the uh, the advent of Western society and America. Uh, the, their great contribution was that 
<clears throat> that idea was no longer necessary, that now mm. we have this ability to actually create and develop wealth ourselves. Mm. And that certainly seems to be in line with, uh, with Catholic theology and Catholic teaching. Mm. But since we put that uh, into practice here in America, we have become uh, quite prosperous from that. We've the, the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so from that, from all that wealth that we have created, you you mentioned avarice and the uh, the excessive love of money. What what is the proper the proper balance? Because, like you mentioned, money it, it is obviously important. It's essential to our economy. You have to have money to be able to function in our economy. But what's the proper balance of money? How do we balance? between using this this money that, that's necessary that we have to use, but how do we safeguard against avarice? Well, avarice is a vice, right? One of the seven capital sins, in fact, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have to safeguard ourselves against, as we safeguard <clears throat> ourselves against any vice. Right? Okay. And, uh, you know, you mentioned, Tom, uh, that in the, in the old pagan world, uh, building wealth was by conquest. You're absolutely right. You mentioned that one stronger than the other would, would overcome another and take his take his stuff, as you put it, which really says that our Lord even mentions that. He even mentions that when he talks about the devil, right? A strong man fully armed guards his house, right? But one stronger than he comes upon him, he will overcome him, take away his arms and his weapons and everything else. So just walk off with it all, right? <laughs> that was the normal way of doing things. And then it was standard operating procedure back then. And if you lost, you lost not only your stuff, you lost your people. Right. Your people would be uh, put in chains. It was even necessary to chain them up and just march them off to slave labor. And uh, after the conquest of Jerusalem, that's what happened to the Jews. In Jerusalem, they were marched off to Rome, put to work on the Colosseum, building the Colosseum. But that's a story, uh, that was the normal story that happened to you know, countless peoples back then. Uh, it's the way Islam worked, and and still works. Still they're works. still enslaved. That they're still uh, basically, um, they are. You, you, that's how it was in the Old Testament. They're, they're a perpetuation of the Old Testament right. way of doing things. Yep. Um, it has been estimated by some who've um, looked into it. That, I'm not sure what methods they've used, but I've read um, in some of the books about Islam's history that it's estimated that over 180 million people were enslaved in the course of Islam by the uh, tenets of Mohammed. And this was considered perfectly normal. Not only normal, but necessary, because those kafiri who are not slaves of Allah must be enslaved by the Mohammedans, who are the slaves of Allah. Islam, Islamics, so uh, they don't have any freedom to say, no, we're going to allow these kafiri to be free and to live unmolested when they've been ordered by Muhammad and Allah to either convert them at the point of the sword into slaves of Allah or take them as your own slaves. This is a mandate of the Quran. So, um, So it is the history of Islam. And you see, uh, basically, the Old Testament way of doing things perpetuated there. Only it's been canonized into a form of religion, right, of slavery. Now, um, it can easily be such that we can become enslaved by money ourselves, by the vice of avarice. And somebody who uh, falls into that greediness of avarice is really a slave of money. 
lives for it. And you think of Scrooge McDuck, you know, in the, in the comic book, uh, swimming through his money in his vault, right? But the, the sad part of it is that the money is useless. In his vault, it's useless. It's just paper and ink. It is worthless to him except the fact that he can enjoy swimming through it. But he's a miser. He doesn't spend it. But money is a fungible good. The whole point is to use it. Uh, I mean, imagine going to the refrigerator. I mean, you're hungry, okay? And you go to the refrigerator, you open the door, look in and say, oh, oh, look at all that wonderful food. You close the door and walk away. You're just so happy that the food is in there. It gives you such a warm feeling in your heart. And you're starving to death, okay? So that's like somebody who has the money and doesn't use it. Um, imagine you having liberty. I mean, you have absolute liberty. You can do whatever you want. And so you do nothing. You don't use your liberty to accomplish anything good. You say, well, if I use my liberty, I, it's like I use it up. I use my liberty to invest it. I become, well, invested in the such a way that I have obligations. But the obligations then diminish my liberty, right? But liberty is meant to be invested like that. Without that, it's absolutely useless. I, I tell this to those who are getting ready for marriage. I say, look, you know, you've gone through all these years of your life getting more and more liberty until you finally get your, achieve your adulthood. And you progress to the point where you have maximum liberty in terms of you know what you can do and where you can go and so on. <coughs> Nobody has absolute liberty to do whatever he feels like or absolute license, you know, like, like a Nero. Thought he did anyway. But uh, so we all have <coughs> obligations to country and so on, <coughs> and loved ones. But nonetheless, you know, we go through our lives, we gain that liberty, and uh, then we get married. And then it's like we, we take all of that precious liberty and we just kind of throw it away. But I try to make them understand it's not throwing it away, it's investing it. It's investing it in something that is really worthwhile. You spend your liberty. And the same with the money. Money has to be spent to be of any value whatsoever. Um, I mean, you have savings, right? But you have savings, uh, and that's serving a purpose already there because you're looking for the time when that is needed to be spent, okay? It's always good, obviously, to have savings on hand. But if you saved everything and refused to spend anything, then your money would be absolutely worthless to you. It's just like an albatross on your neck, you know, a burden rather than anything. So if people would take the money they have and look upon it as a, um, as a blessing from Almighty God, then they may say, well, look, I earned this, okay? The work of my, the, the sweat of my brow and the strength of my hands and the engineering powers of my mind, I've earned this money. But again, who gave you the strength of the hands? Who gave you the sweat of your brow? And who gave you the engineering powers of your mind? It comes from God. All of it does, right? The hands that earn the money, the brain that earns the money, those came from God. And so ultimately, it all, it all is for his sake and for the sake of uh, our, the service we rendered to him, which is the service we rendered to each other, right? Our Lord himself said that if you give so much as a cup of cold water to a little one in his name and for his sake, you will not lose your reward. So God does care very much how, how we treat each other and how we take care of each other. And so the monies we have are meant to uh, be used for good in this world. And uh, that requires that they be spent, but for good purpose, uh, not selfishly. 
So uh, I've never met a person who uh, spent money on something good that he thought was really worthwhile and he regretted he missed the money or making a good investment. I've never had anybody who made a good investment and then missed the money because he did something really good with it. And whether that is uh, you know, buying a car that your family needs and being happy with it, or um, making a charitable donation toward getting uh, clean water for some uh, people in, in, in Africa, you know, who are living off uh, very filthy water which is infested with parasites or whatever. I mean, these things people see as worthwhile investing their time, their effort, and their money in. <coughs> So uh, it's very important, therefore, to, to number one, okay, uh, to practice in the practical order, okay. Let's get down to brass tacks here. When parents are raising their children, they need to inculcate in them a sense of generosity, but they can only inculcate in them in their children a sense of generosity if they inculcate into them first a sense of gratitude. And they have to build in them a sense of gratitude by making them realize that. Um, whatever they have is for the service of God, and God is actually entrusting this to them to be used for uh, what is right and good. So they, they should always uh, be raised with that sense of gratitude. It should be taught to them uh, day and night. The parents have to ex themselves express this gratitude to God, to each other, and to their children. When the children do something for them, they should, they should make it clear to them that they parents are very grateful for the things that are done, and they want the children to imitate their good example. They want the children to be grateful to each other and to thank each other when they do something for each other. They want to have them express that gratitude to their benefactors on their birthdays and Christmas and so on. They want to make sure that children are mindful of giving thanks. Above all, giving thanks to God, though. You know, at the table, blessing the food. And not just there, but everywhere else. You know, the, the kids should see the parents thanking God for everything. Um, so that's a start, okay, but it's just the beginning because the kids have to then grow up and uh, they themselves have to, as they acquire more and more resources, they have to be uh, advised how to invest those wisely. If they're getting an allowance, it should be understood. They're going to tithe from their allowance, right? Teach them that from the very beginning to give of their resources. If they get uh, a quarter, then, you know, so much of that, you know, goes to the church, okay? Have them put it in the basket, a nickel, if that's what it is. Um, if they have uh, <clears throat> some money saved up from gifts that they've given, teach them to give to those who are in need, right? An alms fund or something like that. Or if they're aware of a poor family, have them chip in and, um, have them, uh, and, and but let them see what's happening with their money so they can see that it's really accomplishing something. One Christmas Eve, I arrived in a home um, in Florida, okay? I was there to offer a mass for Christmas. And uh, no sooner was I picked up at the airport and brought to the home than the entire family left. They left me sitting on the couch all by myself. And here's why. Because uh, I walked in the door and I found the youngsters wrapping gifts. Wrapping paper, tape, presents everywhere. 
and uh, they were wrapping gifts for another family. Okay, through some social services organization there, <clears throat> they'd gotten wind of a poor family, and they uh, they do the story. <clears throat> uh, the father was debilitated. The mother had just been diagnosed with cancer, uh, stage four cancer. They're <clears throat> really poor, really poor, and. Um, so uh, they had never met these people before. Neither, neither family had ever met each other. They were in fact, the poor family was totally unaware that this was being done for them. But uh, they, they labeled all the gifts, they, they packaged them all, and then they loaded them all up in the, in the I guess it probably was a station wagon. <laughs> it's quite a while ago. And they went, uh, they, they went roaring out of their driveway. And uh, after all of this great, uh, just activity, and I was completely engulfed and surrounded by this, all of this activity. All of a sudden, it was stone silent. Okay. And about an hour later, they all came piling back in. I saw that the kids were really very enthusiastic, you know. Uh, the scene, they were describing the scene to me. The kids were describing the scene to me. They pulled up on the sidewalk. It was in a part of town they'd never been before. And it's uh, such that people were looking at them like, what are you doing here? And they drove up and they looked out the car window at the house and they saw the like, so like there were certain like ragged, ragged sheets that were being used as, uh, as um, curtains. <coughs> so they saw this face like looking out at through the curtains and then all of a sudden the curtain shut you know, when they started walking up the sidewalk. And they were all laden. Everybody, every member of the family, husband, wife, all the kids, were labeled, were labored with as much as they could carry. And uh, they uh, came to the front door, knocked on the door, and uh, Dad came in his wheelchair and got the door open. And uh, they, they piled in with all the presents and loaded them all up and said hello to everybody. Got to meet the kids whose names were on the presents and. Wish them a blessed Christmas, and I mean they bought uh, armloads of groceries and toys and you name it, you know everything, the works, you know, and uh, and then they bade farewell and they left. They didn't stay and you know create habit. <laughs> they, they were there to deliver, and uh, they described the scene. I mean the people there were very very grateful. They really appreciated it. So, sure. you know, and uh, so uh, they came back, and as I say, the kids were all enthusiastic and describing the whole scene. They'll never forget that. It taught them a very important lesson. Uh, so those are the things that the kids need. They need that example, you know. Um, and then uh, hopefully, you know, you cultivate that sense of uh, gratitude into a sense of generosity that they'll have later on in life. And they will take it as a normal uh, pattern of life and not something extraordinary, not something that's an afterthought, but something that's a, 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 actually a forethought. So that when they, when they get extra money that they don't strictly need, they're not going to be sitting around thinking, well, what do I do with that? You know, where do they put that? I invest that. What do I do to make more money? Rather, they have the idea already in mind before they make the money, like that, that this money is already dedicated. And that's why I'm doing it. I, I'm, I'm earning this for the sake of having something to give. St. Like Jane Paul again, right? <laughs> says, let him who can work that he may uh, do good things and provide good things for those in need. That's what St. Paul says. Right? He goes into it with that idea. 
that's a very good important way to avoid your children getting um, infected with this virus of selfishness and greed also examples of saints have them read the lives of saints who set example I mean every saint we read about in the uh, in the bravery with the priest prays every day right whenever there's a feast day of a saint <clears throat> they always manifest certain virtues right? manifest a great love of our Lord our Lord himself our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament they manifest a great love for the Blessed Mother and they manifest a great generosity toward those who are poor and suffering uh, every one of them right they all have those same characteristics and if we can give these as the examples to the youngsters and they grow up with those examples kind of the, the, those are their role models not these sports stars rock stars whatever um, and their and their bling and all the other stuff oh, heaven forbid uh, but these kids grow up with, uh, you know, the stars of heaven, you know, the saints, as their their guiding stars, and uh, the, again, that that helps, that inoculates them against the spirit of the world, which is uh, so selfish uh, and so avaricious. Um, I know today, you know, Francis and uh, the Novus Ordo has made a lot of big display about um, wealth and and uh, and the rich as opposed to the poor but all too often I'm afraid it gets in the context almost like the socialist versus you know capitalist uh, mentality which is absolutely not the point right it's 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 actually a very wrong to present it that way because not only does it miss the point, it, it, it gives the exact wrong point. Uh, it's, it seems to actually set it up into a Marxist paradigm, unfortunately. And uh, we see Francis actually setting it up that way as, as a Marxist model of, of you know, the, how thing, the world, uh, which was Marxist's great argument for socialism. But, uh, you know, the Catholic understanding is that wealth is a good thing. And we'd like everyone to be wealthy, but we'd like them to be wealthy legitimately uh, by using their God-given talents to, you know, produce wealth. And this is the beautiful thing about a, a Catholic, a truly Christian society, is that it enables those uh, who have the initiative, it inspires the, people to have the initiative, and those then who do can use their talent, their God-given talents, their God-given strength. They can produce good things, as St. Paul says, to provide for those in need. Um, that, that, that's the way it's supposed to be. It's not this mentality that, you know, you know every time, every nickel I have is a nickel that I got from, I must have taken away from somebody else. What's that, you know? That's, that's not the Catholic understanding of things. And um, that, uh, you know, we need to uh, uh, be the great equalizer where we all have to be equally, uh, no one can, can rise above anybody else. No one's allowed to rise above anybody else, like in a socialist society. Um, but uh, rather than raise everybody up, that mentality just takes everyone down, right? right? 
So that's the choice that, that we see. We've seen it played out in the 20th century and now in the 21st century. And uh, I don't see Francis, you know, talking in the Catholic sense of using your wealth to raise everybody up. I see rather just this, this old uh, axe grinding of the rich against the poor now. And this is more, this is more the socialist uh, Marxist model. And uh, it's, it's very dangerous what's coming out of the Vatican right now. Sure. Yeah, that, uh, that sounds like exactly what, what Marx preached uh, of setting up the... <clears throat> and by the way, if, if I say, oh, those rich, those greedy rich, those greedy rich, and that's it, you know? I mean, that's the thing about, about generous rich people who, who earn money, make money, become and share their wealth with others. No, no, it's those greedy rich, those greedy wealthy ones. No. What, what does that do to the poor? It, it awakens in them a sense of exactly. greed, avarice. Yeah. Like, I want that. That's mine. I should take that. They feel entitled to it. Yeah. Supposedly, that's what Mohammed did right. when he was expelled from, Medina, uh, from uh, Mecca, mm. went to Medina, and basically preached this. You poor people, you have a right to the, what those rich people have. You know, sure. This is what Allah wants. You become the slaves of Allah, and you have a right to take this from people. Right. And so he was leading bands of these bandits out into the, uh, into the deserts and plundering uh, the caravans. Right. That's how they became wealthy. Uh, right. That's how he gained his followers initially. And I know that's, that's still a really common theme here in, in the States, too, where that, that happens a lot, mm -hmm. just because it's so easy to, to set up that, that tension between the poor and the rich. I mean, that, that's the easiest thing to, to set up that tension. And once you have all of those, those poor mm -hmm. on your side and against these rich, it's, you can control the them. Force well. of numbers. Yeah. Right. That's the way he returned from Adonai to Mecca with all those followers who had this sense of entitlement, like this, hey, you know, we can take what we want because we're slaves of Allah. We have a right to everything. Especially, not only what you kafirs, what you what you unbelievers have, but we can even take you right. <laughs> and enslave you. Um, this is this is the issue we're dealing with here, and uh, the best way to overcome all of that is through God's intention, and that is Catholicize, right? Make Catholics out of the rich and the poor, and the rich will feel the obligation before God to care for all as their brothers, right. not as their uh, as, as dependents, so to right. speak, you know, or their, their subordinates or their inferiors. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, where else did you find in those days, I mean, back in the beginning of the days of the church, where did you find uh, the, the poor man and the rich man? Where did you find the ruler of the people and the common man kneeling together at the communion rail, receiving the same Lord in Holy Communion? Okay. Right? Uh, where did you find the wealthy putting himself at the service of the poor? That, that's Christ. That's Christ's teaching. That's our Lord's... Uh, you see the example of our Lord at the Last Supper, washing the feet of the apostles, right? He set the example, and there were many well, wealthy people who took that example very seriously, and they applied it in their lives. Mm -hmm. uh, if, you, if, you can, if you can give the sense of Catholicism, uh, true Christianity to those who are wealth, wealthy, this is what you're going to find. You're going to find that the poor people don't have to plunder. Well, they don't have to plunder them anyway. 
Um, and they don't have to grovel before them, you know, just looking for favors. The poor have the gospel preached to them. I mean, this is one of the signs, the coming of the Savior. Our Lord used that. He said, sent the message of John the Baptist back to prison to tell John. This was the last of the signs that our Lord gave. The deaf hear, the, you know, blind see, the lame walk, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. That was one of the special signs. And this is one of the great effects of our Lord and his, our Lord's true teaching in the world. This is uh, the, really the, a great success of the Catholic Church in overcoming a lot of the greed of the wealthy. And uh, not all, clearly, but our Lord didn't, even while he was on earth, overcome all the greed of all the wealthy. But nonetheless... He did teach, and the church has itself taught through all those years, the, the importance of the, of the wealthy giving to the poor, some even to the point of impoverishing themselves for the sake of the poor and becoming poor. Um, but many actually realize, realizing that wasn't their vocation and that the poor needed their wealth and needed them to be wealthy so they could be generous. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with wealth as long as it's generous. Right. And I like, I like how you mentioned that idea about the, the greedy rich and that line that we always hear uh, here, here in America, at least. Um, whereas it, it's a, a fact that, that the vast majority of the charitable giving that happens in the States, at least, even after adjusting for income, comes from, from the wealthy, from, from the rich. And that's certainly that's a, that's a Christian principle. And usually principle. the Christian. Usually right. the Christian exactly. rich. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, um, often Catholics uh, and uh, <clears throat> per capita, I think Catholics probably are the most generous givers of all. Oh, sure. So. Right. But uh, to, to back up and kind of wrap up here, um, I thought it was nice how you, you talked about that idea of inculcating in, in children the, the idea of, uh, of generosity and, and a generous spirit. And I can uh, remember from my own childhood growing up, I, uh, I distinctly remember uh, something that, that has kind of always stuck with me was uh, one day just driving home from school, my mom asked me what I would do if I won the lottery, had a million dollars, what I would do with it. Uh, I was just a kid at the time, maybe seven, eight or so, and I just started naming off all these things I would buy for myself. I would, I would buy a, a, a house, a, a mansion, I would buy the, the, the new Corvette, I'd buy everything for myself. And my mom just kind of let me ramble on for a while of all these things I would buy for myself. And she eventually kind of stopped me and said, well, what about, what about your family? What about, what about your grandma? Or what about us? Would you buy anything for us? <laughs> and then, of course, I kind of had to think for a second. But, okay, well, sure. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd buy some stuff for you guys, too. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't forget about you. But I think that that's, that's, that, um, that's, that's a good that, – that kind of always stuck with me as that, yeah, of course, you have to take care of yourself and your own family. Um, but just that, that idea of being generous and thinking of others. Um, so I think that's, that's a good – a good example well, it's of that. a good test. I'm sure you're going to ask your own children someday. <laughs> I, I plan to. Win the lottery. <laughs> Just to kind of plant the, the seed there. Right. Tell them the church has a Christmas appeal. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, put a couple of bucks aside for that, if you would. Uh, yeah, you know, as I travel to missions, uh, sometimes I'll hear people say, Father, uh, say a prayer for me. I bought a lottery ticket, and if I win, I'll, 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 I'll share. I'll, I'll split it with you, or I'll, I'll give 10% goes to the church, you know. Yeah. If God wants to win the lot. If God wants the lottery money, He doesn't need you to share it with Him, right? Um, I don't know. He said, "Why don't you just do this? Okay, buy a lottery ticket and say, oh Lord, if I win this, it's it all, it all goes to the church.'" 
and then you know we'll we'll find a way to make it worth your while. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, help out whatever we can. Of course, we're going to do not going to do anything illegal, obviously. Um, but uh, maybe you should have that approach with with God that if He blesses you with something, it's not that you're going to cut Him in, <laughs> you know, on the deal, sure. uh, which I would think would be rather insulting to <laughs> Almighty God to, to think of you know we're going to. Uh, throw a few, you know, a few coins your way, um, and, but it does start with the children. You know, you have to start with the youngsters right from the beginning. And I'm glad your mom asked you that question. I am too. <laughs> and I'm glad she let you ramble on, but not forever, <laughs> until you spent everything. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, Father, that's definitely an uh, an interesting topic, and there's certainly a lot a lot more that, that could be said um, if it weren't for the the time time constraints. But I think uh, with that, we'll go ahead and, and wrap up. Um, so I'd like to thank you for being here tonight, and thank you for all of your all of your insight on all of that. Oh, absolutely. And uh, Tom, thanks for coming aboard. No problem. I appreciate it very much. And hopefully, Adultos uh, Anos for many years. Uh, <laughs> that you'll be uh, you know, hosting the program. So, I like that very much, Father. Thank well, you. God bless you. Uh, I'd also like to thank all of our, all of our viewers. Thank you for the, uh, the emails and the, uh, the questions and the topics and the, uh, any, any of the comments that we've received. So certainly thank you for that. And like I mentioned earlier, we, we, would, we would like to answer uh, your questions more often. We'd like to, to kind of stick with this format and do it a little, little more frequently if possible. So do not be shy about sending in uh, any questions or comments or topic suggestions that you would have. Uh, you can do that via the email address. Um, so until next time, I would like to thank you all for watching and ask you to remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless.